The future of vision care continues to change. 2021 shows new areas of opportunities and practices must be ready to implement new resources to stay ahead of the competition. For ophthalmologists, the way they practice, do business, and handle the patient's experience is shifting, and they may find setbacks if they don't keep up with this changing future. This three-episode series will discuss exploring ways to increase practice revenue, keeping up with modern payment solutions, and third, the importance of digital transformation in your practice. Our guests will be Patty and Keith Casebolt for all three episodes. Welcome to our podcast series on preparing for the future. I'm Randy Baldwin, Vice President of Human Health Care Marketing at Care Credit. Today, we will be exploring ways to increase practice revenue with Patty Casebolt, Chief Quality Officer of Medical Eye Center, and Keith Casebolt, CEO of Medical Eye Center. Thank you for joining us. Patty and Keith, can you tell the audience a little bit about your background and how your credentials add flavor to this podcast? Thank you, Randy. I'm fortunate enough to have been the CEO of Medical Eye Center for the past uh, 25 years. We are a multi-specialty ophthalmology organization with several ophthalmology subspecialists, optometrists, and one PA. We employ about 165 staff members who work in the clinic, optical, medical spa, and surgery center. Patty, you've been here even longer than me. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Keith. Yes, I've been here with Medical Eye Center for 31 years now. My background is in the clinical, operational, marketing, and risk management areas. My role now as the Chief Quality Officer allows me to work with our management team to focus and process improvement throughout the practice and maximize our opportunities. A large portion of my time is allocated to coaching the managers and improving our benchmarks that affect our overall revenue. Great, great, good background, and thank you so much for you know outlining what you guys do now and what it is that your credentials allow you to be experts, more or less, on this subject. You know, there's a couple of things I want to point out first before I actually ask you that first question. What we've seen in this past year or so is the rising costs make it even harder for patients to afford care. You know, um, the recession in 2021 amid the coronavirus pandemic has led to higher unemployment rates, reducing the number of you know, well-insured patients. Deductibles have been rising. Elective services could decrease or even were put on pause. You know, to maintain the revenue, practices may have to see more patients with fewer resources and or increase per patient revenue. Uh, Patty and Keith, what are your thoughts on this and what are some of the ways your practice has maintained or increased the revenue during this pandemic area? Uh, Randy, we have uh, three strategies that have worked for us uh, so far and then some tips about how to implement uh, change successfully. And so we're gonna talk first about the three strategies. The number one strategy, which dovetails to what you just said is increasing your average ticket. You know, during the pandemic, more or less, we were forced to prioritize medical services at the expense of routine eye care. We yeah. just uh, didn't have the providers available to do the other stuff. 
And so we focused really on the medical care because there was all this pent up demand, people who hadn't gotten their routine medical care. Mm-hmm. So we shifted our focus to the medical services for a while. However, we also opened more surgery days for our LASIK program. People had stimulus uh, checks to spend. I think there were a lot of people who just got tired of their glasses fogging up when they wore a mask. (laughs) So this helped us achieve a higher average ticket, even though our patients per day per doctor uh, were reduced because of coronavirus restrictions and short staffing. Now, you know, during normal times, adding higher cost items like custom IOLs and other out-of-pocket services like medical spa, high-end optical products, and more subspecialists, those are all ways that you can increase your average ticket. Plus, we've also invested in the latest testing and imaging equipment, including Optos, which is another source of cash revenue. That's right, Keith. So, you know, most of those strategies um, are out of pocket to patients, right? You know, it's cash in the pocket. So practices have to have a way for patients to pay for them over time. And if they don't or can't, they you know, prefer to pay for them right away, there are several options in our office um, that we offer and other practices can offer as well, or at least consider. One would be a cash discount, although that doesn't necessarily work for everyone. Uh, Perhaps in-house payment options, Again, not recommended as you you know need to offer this to everyone, and this comes with issues like collecting. Uh, you have to you know be that person if you're going to be the practice collecting from the patient that can cause ill will uh, if the patient defaults. Um, you have to have people to send statements and, and manage all of that. You know, years ago in our LASIK practice, we offered in-house payments to a small number of patients, um, and it ended up who, these were people that didn't qualify for outside financing. Every single one of those, Randy, turned into a collection problem, yeah. and uh, we don't do that anymore. So the other option, and what we chose to do, is partner with a, a patient finance company, and we found this is the best way to have you know payment options that enable our patients to move forward, you know, with whatever procedure they're looking at. We offer care credit, um, the care credit credit card uh, to the patients, and when the patient sees that they can use a deferred interest program or no interest if paid in full within a promotional period, like we offer six, 12, 18, or 24 month, those patients are usually convinced to purchase whatever the doctor is recommended. Care Credit also has a longer payment option that substantially lowers the patient's monthly payment, and that usually fits within the patient's budget, and they're really satisfied with that. Well, you know, that sounds very interesting. It sounds like you guys are looking at other types of procedures, products, and services to bring in the revenue. And then also knowing that there is out-of-pocket expenses, partnering with folks like, like ourselves, you know, patient financing company, care credit, but then having other options and other things in which the patients can um, not let the cost be the barrier for proceeding on. So, so with that great information, what would be a next best practice strategy that you both would suggest to our listeners? Well, Randy, one of the things that um, worked for us uh, and has worked in the recent years is adding to total patient volume by adding new specialties and or new doctors. Many geographic areas are relatively underserved for new treatments and there's with every new treatment that comes out, there's more to do for more patients. We added two new doctors 
ourselves mm-hmm. just as the pandemic began. And that didn't work out very well when we were shut down, but it um, came into play later in the year. And so even though we had a reduction in patients per doctor per day, our overall total clinic patients remain pretty strong. So many practices do have an opportunity to add oculoplastics or medical spa services, retina, or just more general care via adding optometrists. Dry eye programs are typically, those patients are typically underdiagnosed and underserved. Mm -hmm. And so people could consider a comprehensive dry eye program, which is just another area of opportunity. Some optometrists who were very interested in um, scleral contact lenses. And so we added that service, which was really helpful to some patients, and it was a big support to our uh, cornea doctors as well. It, it almost reminds me, Keith, uh, like you guys have looked at looking at uh, a full service eye care, right? Not just specializing in one area or not. I know, Patty, and you wanted to say something as well, right? Right. And I was just thinking, Randy, you know, as you just said that, you know, I've been here 31 years and compared, you know, we were just general ophthalmology 31 years ago. And then slowly over the years, we've just continued to add, you know, subspecialties and, and looked at areas that um, our patients, you know, need as far as their their eye care needs. A related strategy, Randy, um, thinking about this is, you know, if you already offer these additional services, if you're like us and you've grown and you already have that, the next step is to really look carefully analyzing the programs that you do offer, looking for improvements. Um, you know, offering programs that uh, that are in a subspecialty to the general ophthalmology, sometimes these are really starved. Those programs are starved for attention and resources. Mm-hmm. One area that I think for, for managers to really understand is knowing what the benchmarks are in each of those areas and then creating a plan to improve. That's probably the first step. And then once you've done that, monitoring and intervening as needed to confirm that this plan is really successful um, because that's an area for us that and we, we're really great at launching the program and often don't circle back around uh, to make sure that you know we're hitting our benchmarks and uh, doing it the way we're supposed to be doing it. A recent example of this uh, is looking at the financial impact of reducing our tech workup time. You know, as Keith said over the pandemic, you know, I think for most practices, we've all experienced some turnover. And right now about 40% of our tech team is new. So wow. as we looked at their workup times, we realized, yeah, we realized that we have some newer techs that have slower workup times. And so working with our tech manager and the technician trainers recently, we looked at what it would look like if we calculated the 10 slowest technicians, and if they could work up just one more patient per day, the actual impact of that is an annual revenue increase of $84,000. Just just for those 10 technicians, one patient per day. And that's crazy, right? That's a lot, of, yeah. that's a lot more revenue. Um, so we gave this information to our tech trainers and you know, gave them marching orders that uh, we want those 10 technicians to work up just one more patient a day. You know, in a similar wow. vein, I mentioned recruiting doctors uh, earlier, and that can be a lot more difficult than it sounds. You can't just order these uh, doctors off a menu. You have to go <laughs> find them, and it take a long time. And for some practices, if you're having difficulty recruiting, another possibility is to look at what would it take in your practice if you added an expected doctor's new volume and divided that by the doctors you have. And what would that take? Would that be one or two patients a day? And 
it's an interesting thought experiment to see, could we make our clinic a little more efficient? The techs are faster, mm -hmm. the doctors are faster, things are more streamlined, and maybe we could get you know, a half an FTE of a doctor or a full FTE of a new doctor while you're still doing that outside recruiting. Well, that sounds interesting. You know, it's something you both said, whether you're looking at it from adding new doctors, Keith, that you just explained to us, or Patty, looking at new services and making sure you're working with the tech. There's something you said that said, hey, it's, we launch programs, but are we really circling back to make sure that they are doing what we set out for them to do and where can we make improvements? So with that, I'm sure there's areas that your practice must have considered before just adding these services. So from your experience, can you explain some of those areas to commit to or to watch out for? Sure, Randy. I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks um, that I've experienced over the years is underestimating how much time it takes to launch a new venture, right? And so probably the number one area that I would focus on is committing the you know, necessary resources to any of those new programs or ventures. All of these new initiatives require staffing, uh, the right equipment and space, all of which translates into money, right? And so that can be a barrier, I think, for some practice to think, oh, I don't want to do that. But perhaps more importantly, if you don't have the you know, applicable experience, you need to look outside uh, of yourself or your practice for expert advice. You know, a great example of this is when we launched our medical spa. Uh, it's more than 12 years ago now. When we moved into the new building, we thought our prior experience from growing our LASIK program and adding custom OL IOLs would translate, you know, directly into the spa. And we mm -hmm. were wrong, <laughs> tragically wrong. While well, we, we did a great job <laughs> of, you know, space planning and allocating staff, we made some pretty big major mistakes in our service mix, um, the pricing and our promotion strategies. We tried to be everything to everybody, and it just didn't work. Um, it, I would say it was an epic fail, actually. <laughs> um, you know, we brought in things like um, traditional services, like spa services, like massage. Right. And we brought in too many product lines. We priced them too low. And we were creating an unsustainably high cost of goods. We also spent a ton of money on marketing. Uh, it was too complicated. It wasn't focused. And it turns out... You can't lose money on every sale um, and make it up just in volume. Uh -huh. So the outcome of that was the owners of the practice finally issued an ultimatum. They gave us one year to turn this around. Um, and if we weren't going to be able to turn around there, the decision was to close down the spa. So we took um, some expert advice from outside of our clinic, worked with two different um, experts in the field, and uh, wrapped it up. You know, we simplified everything from the marketing to our pricing structures and Ultimately, uh, working with these experts, we became profitable in the end, partners were happy, and now we've been successful for years as largest medical spa in the region. Thanks, um, Patty, for reviewing your experience and really stressing the need for the practices to be complete as possible before deciding to bring on any new program or services. You know, it's more about counting the costs as much as you can before you really go into bringing in those new products or services only to find out perhaps that you will be a failure, uh, but you want to be as successful as possible. Now, I know many of the plans that you've just discussed are really patient pay with little or no insurance. So 
what additional services have you brought in to achieve your financial goals or, or how are you working with care credit on helping that aspect of, of the business? Sure, Randy, thanks. Thanks for that. You know, as I mentioned earlier, I feel it's important to look outside of our practice for expert help. Um, and what I have found over the years with different industries and specifically right now with, with Care Credit is partnering with our Care Credit rep to come in and provide training um, for our staff. And one example of that was working with our optical team because they just weren't as comfortable uh, working with um, patients and getting them you know, uh, financing. And so our Care Credit rep came in and worked with our team. And just in a few trainings, we saw that the optical, um, the opticians were talking uh, with our patients about their out-of-pocket and we noticed that our, our sales rose 50% in between January and April of 2021. And we really believed wow. that it was that it was that training and focus, right? Um, utilizing experts outside of our practice to help us reach our goals. Yeah, you know, that that's what we pride ourselves in. You know, again, I just have to be uh, transparent here. I am a representative of Care Credit. We have over 35 years of helping providers in all healthcare segments use our product as a service, right, to benefit both the practice and then ultimately benefits the patients. So, you know, I'm sure there are many more strategies that you guys can outline for us and for our listeners, but why don't you outline at least one more for us? What else can they do? Randy, the last uh, final strategy that we're going to talk about today is improving efficiencies or reducing costs. And you know, you heard it say the said the largest room is the room for improvement. And <laughs> you know, as long as we've been here, we always see lots of opportunities for us to get better. So here's some things that we're doing and looking at right now. We're we're currently streamlining our surgery scheduling process to be more efficient and better for out-of-town patients. We get a lot of referrals for people who are traveling a long ways. So we're using Zoom and phone calls to accomplish more of those tasks and therefore reducing the number of patient visits and the load on the front desk and, and the rest of the building. We've also very carefully reduced a few of our post-op visits for certain kinds of yeah. surgeries while we're still following our patients uh, very closely. More recently, three of our doctors have moved from five-day uh, schedules to four-day schedules, and we're actually seeing more total patients per week as a result, and this freed up some space. We're a little space-constrained in our building, um, but it also improved the doctor's work-life balance, and, the, and staff morale went up a bit. It also wow. freed up, as I said, the equipment and lane space for doctors on other days. So, you know, people could consider whether those kinds of experiments are worth trying. Yeah, so, so they actually, you, I'm sorry, so, you, so I just wanted to point out, so you actually had three of your doctors reduce their work week, but you're able to see more patients? Yeah, they lengthened their 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 days on the four days that they're here ah, cool. to, yeah. to more than cover that other day. And so that's how it's working. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. So Randy, another really important area and, and probably one of the biggest expenses for most practices is the marketing department, right? Uh, and right. during the pandemic, we cut out most of our marketing um, because we just didn't have the patients. You know, we had really cut our templates down. And so it's interesting during that time, it really freed up our marketing director to redirect her time to improve things like internal marketing processes 
-hmm. and then research external software and services that our marketing now is so much more effective and efficient. Um, and I think we're going to talk about that in one of the upcoming um, episodes on this podcast. And less costly. Less costly. Right. Yeah. We've really made some improvements. So that was an area to focus on. And then, you know, during the pandemic, we were forced to be creative um, where we were short-staffed. I mean, we, were, we had days where we were just extremely painfully short-staffed. And so we used staff who were quarantined uh, to do things like tech calls and billing and remote opticians. Huh. We used an iPad and actually had an optician uh, from home be the optician and used one of our technicians to be her hands and, and feet. Uh, and it worked really well. Uh, and it wow. works so well that we're continuing to use a lot of these strategies still. The other thing is that, you know, many of our managers and staff who were working remotely were more productive, interestingly. And we had this concern about people working offsite, you know, maybe not being as productive, but we found uh, uh -huh. that the opposite was true. They had fewer interruptions and, you know, where it makes sense, we're still allowing staff to work remotely. Then maybe the last thing in this list is trying to help our managers themselves become more efficient. And so to that end, we created and delivered a four-day leadership boot camp workshop that was delivered over Zoom um, with hmm. excellent results. So allowing people to train from the comfort of home allowed for more effective training. You know, I expected to get a bunch of complaints about long training days on Zoom, but we actually got a lot of positive feedback from the attendees and it worked out really well. Wow, sounds like you guys really thought it through and how you took an ugly situation with the pandemic and actually have some really good pearls and uh, of implementation of new processes and policies that are really working out for the practice. You know, your conversation that we've been, that I've been listening to here is that you recommended increasing your average ticket in patient volume, as well as improving efficiencies or looking for cost reductions like we just talked about. So, so given all of that, what have you learned about implementing changes like the things you just talked about? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the number one, and I think it's you know probably right straight out of change management book, but is inclusion. It's communicating with the right people and the amount, you know, the right amount of inclusion, the right amount of communication, because if you don't include the right people early on in the process, you're going to get rework and potentially passive resistance. It's really, I think it's easy for managers to get so focused on the specifics of the change that they fail to communicate with all the people who are going to be affected and, you know, get buy-in. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. they, miss, they, they really miss incorporating suggestions that maybe would have been, you know, helpful to avoid problems and make the process better. I think you can assume that with any change, there's going to be some level of resistance. And so tackling mm -hmm. that right up front, um, getting feedback, I think that's the best way to deal with it, you know, right on the front end and avoid unnecessary conflict and, and rework. And then after, I think the big, the another big um, thing to consider is after you've implemented this change is to include communication on regular check-ins after the fact, you know, time to problem solve and, and then produce, you know, progress reports so that everyone's on the same page. You know, creating clear accountability is vital to the success of any new project You've got to get agreement about who will do what and particularly by when so we know if agreements are being kept you know write them down review them and then accountability means that everyone has to renegotiate immediately as soon as they know that there might be a problem with their by when and then 
when the inevitable problems happen, just keep focusing on problem solving versus blaming the people involved. So blame is demoralizing and toxic. Problem solving engages creativity and mm -hmm. gets you to that level of confidence and enthusiasm where a team works well. Keith, you know, once the changes are in place, I think it's really important to continue monitoring uh, the program, the change that you put in place, looking at training um, for the new procedures, and then reporting of key performance indicators related to the change, making sure that, you know, you're really progressing and there's success in whatever the change was. Otherwise, if you tend to uh, put something in place, it can often regress once the manager's attention gets focused on the next fire, the next project. The other thing, Keith, is you know, don't forget to celebrate the small wins and share appreciations for those who are helping. That's probably one of my biggest opportunities is I get really focused on the change and I forget often to you know, circle back around and um, really appreciate and celebrate with, with the team. And lastly, of course, reconnect with your industry partners, whether it's you know, your device manufacturer, your product rep, or your care credit rep, like I was saying earlier when we did the training. They all are experts in their fields, they have resources, and they know how to use their products and services to address the needs that, that your practice you know, is trying to implement. And I can't stress that enough. You know, they really want to partner with you. You know, Keith and Patty, there's a lot of great information, advice, and practical suggestions that I really honestly feel our listeners can implement. So we're at the end of our program here. Um, any final words you want to tell the audience? how they can get a hold of you for more information or anything else that you really want to stress with them. Thanks, Randy. So we talked about three things. First, we suggested you look at ways to increase your average ticket, particularly in out-of-pocket services. Second, are there any ways you can increase your patient volume by becoming more efficient with the doctors you have or adding new doctors? And the third strategy, Randy, is we looked at uh, ways of improving efficiency generally or just reducing your cost. And lastly, we want to make sure that any new changes are properly understood, they're planned, communicated with, you know, including everyone that needs to be included, and that you're allocating enough resources to increase the likelihood of success. You know, the past 15 months have been incredibly difficult for everyone. Um, so my last thought is this is a great time to deploy your empathy skills for yourself and for others, pausing to reflect on what was hard as well as what have you learned is a worthwhile activity. You'll probably notice many ways in which you have grown that you might not have expected. So just to wrap up, if you have any further questions or comments, you can reach us at, uh, for me, it's Keith, K-E-I-T-H, at medicaleyecenter.com or Patty, with a Y, P-A-T-T-Y, at medicaleyecenter.com if you've got further questions. You can reach either of us by phone at 541-779-4711. Thanks, Randy. You're welcome. And you know, this has been an excellent podcast. Your insights, your advice, I'm sure is going to have an impact on our listeners. So I want to thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Uh, I also want to thank our listeners for taking the time to listen to this first episode of Preparing for the Future. It's part of our educational series entitled Exploring Ways to Increase Practice Revenue. Again, our guest today was Patty and Keith Casebolt. I'd like for you to join us for our next episode entitled Keeping Up with Modern Payment Solutions.